Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter, if you so choose, at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Pay for good journalism, read good journalism, support good journalism, Nashville Scene, Nashville Post, of course. Follow all of the Twitter accounts that we just told you about, but also the scene and the post. Uh, Support good local business as well, because you know we are brought to you by... Jaspers. There you go. Uh, We've got a lot of stuff on the show today, of course. Um, Two big chunks of rest for this team. And again, a lot of this, I I heard some of you guys, I heard you and Gover talking about this a little bit on It's All Your Fault with the defense pairings, Ryan McDonough's injury, two long chunks of rest right in the middle of the season. You guys touched on some of that stuff. Uh, So we'll get into a little bit of that today on the show. Again, it's all your fault. Make sure you check out that pod each and every week from uh, Michael Gallagher and Jeremy K. Gover from the scene and the post. Uh, We got some backup goaltending numbers we got to get to. But really, um, the most important question on the show today, uh, Michael, will be what is the worst place on the human body to be struck by a puck? And we're going to remove the obvious one for all you male listeners. We're just going to remove that one. Uh, I've got one I think will challenge anyone listening to to tell me there's a worse place to get hit with a puck. I'm going to challenge everybody because Ryan McDonough hit in the face with a puck on on IR. Right as, right as of course, as the defense was, um, you know, rounding into form. I think the the biggest conversation, the real conversation we're going to have today on the show, however, is in relation to the Tennessee Titans and what ownership, a singular voice, a single owner of the Tennessee Titans did this week in firing their general manager sort of shockingly and out of nowhere on a very successful and productive football team and, and compare that to what we have dealt with, with the Nashville predators, where we do not have a singular voice and a single owner that has made a decision or has even said much of anything about how they're even evaluating David Poyle, much less all the, the machinations of fan anxiety over the last 18 months or so. So a lot of stuff on the show today. Um, I I took my folks to Jasper's though. Michael, I took my folks to Jasper's first time they've ever been, took them to Jasper's my mom and dad, you know, they're, they're, they're fairly healthy. They're not going to like, we don't want something heavy. I said, you know what? I got you covered. We got the shrimp and goodies, light salad. If you like a little spice, a little seafood in your salad, you got the flatbread, vegetarian flatbread, killer flatbread, delicious. Um, you got all kinds of, you got the collie poppers there on the, on the appetizer menu. If you want to go eat like sweet potato, barbecue, pork fries, you can, if you want to go have just beers, you can. If you want to have a delicious smash burger, you can. But if you want to eat healthy, you can do that too. You can do everything at Jasper's. I need. I really need to go back there because I've only been the one time, and I I feel like I have hyped up the tornado fries and the smash burger as much as I can, and I need to be able to lend <laughs> some more authenticity to these ad reads. <laughs> you are a writer. You need to find some more descriptors for like write some really eloquent prose about tornado fries for us next week. Okay, <laughs> I can do that. Um, no, the fries are delicious. And again, for Preds games, home and road, do you guys know the deal? You guys know the deal now. Ten dollars smash burgers, three dollar beers. Uh, and of course, there's the gold standard cocktail, which is named after this podcast. So make sure you go try one of those. It's a whiskey drink. Uh, go try that out. Uh all the great- they, they do have a very diverse menu. So it's not your typical sports bar where it's like burgers, fries, wings. Like they do have a wide array of, of stuff to choose from that's not just greasy pizza and stuff like that. And yet they have all of the things that you just said. Yeah. But like better. That is, that is what you want. You can go get greasy bar food, but they do have a lot of other, I don't know, an eclectic menu. They have yeah. a lot of things to choose from, not just your standard bar food, which is pretty cool. 
it is what you would expect from the next evolution of the sports bar. That, that is go. that is what we would expect. No, the the menu is truly exceptional and extremely diverse. Like you could get pasta, you could get sandwiches, you could get rolls, you could get salads, you can get flatbreads, you could get burgers, you can get heavy appetizers and some light appetizers. There's all kinds of good stuff on there. You can get what my wife has described as some of the best Brussels sprouts of her life. Ooh. Oh, you know what else they have is that's incredible. The, the broccoli. If you like broccoli, the side item, it's it's spectacular. It's got this little sweet chili sauce on it. Oh, my God. Oh, Everything's my God. It's so good. Sweet chili sauce. <laughs> <laughs> sweet chili sauce on pizza. Sweet chili sauce on burgers. Give me the sweet chili sauce all day long. Um, okay. So let's start with the injury to Ryan McDonough. And I, again, I know. You guys spent some time on this on, on on it's all your fault, but I want you and I have not had a chance to talk about some of these things. The fact that the Preds haven't played a game, you know, is since your episode uh, is a part of the the weird rest conversation we'll have today. But just McDonough, you know, IR probably two to four weeks, maybe three weeks, um, maybe some reconstructive surgery in his face. Who knows? But he takes a puck right to the face against the Islanders, and it was right as the defense group has sort of settled into its and kind of found itself and the pairings felt secure. We hadn't seen John Hines mess with the lineup. So uh, I know you said this on, on it's all your fault, but give everybody the save percentage for the goaltenders. If you need me to recount it all, I've got it all written down for you, Michael, but the save percentage by each defenseman. And then what do you want to see them do in the lineup? Because I I have an idea that I want to float past you. Yeah. So We'll go from best save percentage to worst save percentage. Uh-huh. So this is this is the save percentage of of the goalie when each defenseman is on the ice, taking into account every every possible pairing they've played with this year. Matthias Ekholm is first with ninety three point two percent. Dante Fabro is second with ninety one point one percent. Ryan McDonough and Jeremy Lozon are both tied for third, ninety point four percent. And then you have Mark Borowiecki at ninety percent. And then you have Alex Carrier at 89.1%, and then Roman Yossi at 86.6%, mm. and then Jordan Gross at 80%. So Roman Yossi, almost as bad as Jordan Gross. Um, no, obviously, the numbers don't say everything. They don't tell the whole story. But I wanted you to put those numbers out there because I heard you guys talking about them, and I think it's a really good place to start this conversation with. Uh, it, it has taken time, and this will this will pivot into our rest conversation the five-day layoff of the water main break and then the five-day sort of uh scheduled break and and i heard you saying that like jordan gross will step into a bigger role now yeah my my first question is don't you want to minimize the departure as as much as possible by like making a one-for-one swap like don't you want to leave everything else in place because it's working or do you want to move a more talented piece up to play with yossi if that if that makes sense, if that question makes yeah. sense. I mean, I think a case can be made for for both. And I and I will say the save percentage for each one, you gotta take into account too. Roman Yossi, 86.6. That looks kind of bad. But with the exception of Mark Borvietsky, Yossi has played at one point in time when this season with every other defenseman that the team has. So he hasn't really had consistency to kind of to build chemistry. We saw that the last two weeks when he was playing with Ryan McDonough. They were the only one of two Preds pairings that didn't allow a goal. Uh defensive pairings didn't allow a goal this year. I think McDonough and uh, Carrier was the other one. Um, but yeah, I, I think, and, and the thing is too, with McDonough and Yossi as a top pairing, you had Yossi on the right side, McDonough on the left. If say you move, I don't know, Dante Fabro up, well, you're not going to keep Roman Yossi on the right side. Right. It doesn't make sense. So 
I think in an ideal world, you would like to do a one for one switch, but it's just not going to work because you're you're moving Roman Yossi from the right side back to the left side, which that is his normal, his natural position. But it, it's just it's not going to work out the same. So you, who do you want to pair with Yossi then? Do you want it to be Carrier or Fabro, or do you want to bring somebody else up? Honestly, I, I think the way Ekholm and Carrier are playing together, I think you just you leave that alone. Like they agree. they've been consistent, they've been solid, they haven't they haven't really blown you away offensively, but they haven't been a defensive liability. I think you leave that alone, and I think the numbers kind of support Roman Yossi and and Dante Fabro playing together because Roman Yossi is a more offensive kind of defenseman. When he's playing, when he's paired with Dante Fabro, that pairing is an offensive kind of pairing. They, I think they have uh, the most goals for second most shots and the second most unblocked shot attempts on the team uh, out of all the defensive pairing the president played with this year. So I think, I think you kind of, you go, you roll with that. I think maybe putting Lozon and Gross together. I think it, it depends on how long Ryan McDonough is out. If you're looking at two weeks. Sure. I mean, that, that's shorter of a period than four weeks. You're going to have, I mean, duh, no kidding. Um, but you're going to have, you're going to have fewer games to try to minimize the blow, if you will. So I think you can get by, say if it's two weeks and you have seven games in that, in that two week period, I think you can get by with a third pairing of gross and Lozon. But if it's four weeks and you're looking at double digit games, then I think you got to try and figure out which one is the most, mo- which, yeah. Which way is the most sustainable way to, to keep winning games? Well, this leads us into the rest conversation. And there's all, I've talked to Hal about this a bunch, like rest versus rhythm, right? If you're yeah. playing well, you don't want to have time off. And they're obviously playing well right now. Again, they, they beat New Jersey and in, in, in the Islanders on the road, two teams that are red, scorching red hot. Um, they are 9-3-2 and two when they score first. They scored first in both of those two games, which means they've scored first in nine of their last 10. They, of course, 9-3-1 and one in their last 13 games since that three, six and one start. So the rest versus rhythm thing here, if you're both big believer in the rhythm, this is a terrible time to have a water main break and for all this to, to go wrong. Although I am very grateful uh, that a six and four year old got to see Marin Morris on Friday night. So that, that was, that was good. That was good. Although they totally panned Rustin Kelly, by the way, like just my four year old, I was like, what'd you think? My four year old was like, eh, he's okay. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> tough crowd here at Bridgestone. But, um, I digress. They're playing really well. And and then to get the three wins and to do it against such hot teams and to do it actually scoring goals, I think you could argue it comes at a bad time. But, and I think you said this on It's All Your Fault, the, the fact that they have to now re- replace one of their top blue line defensemen, because that's what McDonough was playing, was the top line, with a guy who's probably going to be on the third pairing, potentially, and to give him five days to not only eat up the IR time, but also to eat up, uh, to give him practice time, to be involved in this unit and to feel a little bit more comfortable in his role. In that sense, from Saturday to Thursday's game, you could argue that was a pretty good, pretty well-timed break uh, for the National Predators. Yeah, and I, one other note on, on, you mentioned scoring first. They're 9-3-2 when they score first. In the games that they do score first, they average 3.4 goals per game. In the games where they don't score first, they average 2.2 goals per game. So I thought that was a little interesting that wow. they're scoring more than a goal per game. They're at they're they're averaging more than a goal per game in the games that they do score first. I don't know what the correlation is there, but that just kind of struck my eye. But yeah, I it's one of those things where if it was gonna happen, now is probably the ideal time for it to happen. You lose Ryan McDonough, say he's out for more two weeks, best case scenario. 
well, you have a five-day break. So that basically eliminates one of those weeks right there, and you're looking right. at really only being without him for a week's worth of games. If it's going to be four weeks, then you, you've cut it down to three weeks by, by essentially having you know five days off. So it's one of those things where I would lean towards it being a benefit because you're giving Jordan Gross more time to come in, get acclimated, have a few more practices under his belt. You're giving him five days to see who you want to play him with. Maybe you pair him with Yossi in one practice, and maybe you pair him with Loza on the next practice, and you're like, okay, he looked better with Yossi. Let's go with that. Maybe you're switching things up. I feel like having more time to get acclimated, because look at last time he came in, he had the game where he scored two goals, and he looked really good there, but defensively, it wasn't so hot. He happened to get a couple goals, which kind of masked the problems that he was having defensively, but he got called up and was thrown right into the fire. I think this will serve... Jordan grows better to excuse me to have a few more game have a few more days of practice yeah. to get acclimated and build some chemistry but like you said three straight wins and really that, that take away that Detroit game they yeah. barely lost that Tampa Bay game you're looking at like nine games where they were at least the better team in in eight of those games so it, it's it the timing of it can be kind of bad because they were building momentum and you'd rather continue playing when you are on a hot streak but also I mean, look at after the Detroit loss, you had the water main break. You had a lot to deal with. You're displaced for a couple of days. You're worried about your, you know, your home venue and all the restoration and stuff. So they've had a lot go on in the last two weeks. So you could argue that they needed this five day mental five day break to have a mental refresh. And, and by the way, those games have been rescheduled. Of course, the Colorado game will be the last game of the season. That's unfortunate. Uh, maybe it's the regular season by a day. Maybe it's good because Colorado's clinched everything they need to clinch. Maybe it's terrible because you need two points to get into the playoffs. Who knows? Uh, but it will come on the heels of at Winnipeg, at Calgary, Minnesota, and Colorado, all within the last six days of the season. So what a way to end the year. Now you've added that team in there. Oh, well, Carolina and Vegas and Dallas before that. So, yeah. um, and then of course the 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 Columbus game was rescheduled for January seventeenth. Uh, that was also right in the middle of a pretty busy week. I believe they'll play the fourteenth Saturday. They'll play Monday the 16th, Tuesday the 17th, Thursday the 19th, Saturday the 21st. So that just adds another, that just jam packs that week. That game um, scheduled sandwich right in between Calgary and St. Louis, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they will play. Uh, they're playing at Tampa on Thursday. They got Ottawa. So two Eastern Conference teams. But then they go on a very long month long stretch of all Western Conference teams and a lot of teams in the division. So we'll see how fastly they can get Jordan Gross up to speed. And I think the practice time certainly uh, will help. There's no question about that. Um, and it's again, I just the, the rest versus rhythm. It's almost like we won't know until afterward. If they come out yeah. on, on Thursday, Saturday, and next week, and they lose four out of five, or they lose three out of four, then we'll look back and we'll say, oh, the rest came at the worst possible time. They were hot and they needed to keep playing. If they come out and they're rested and Jordan Gross plays well and the defense is still strong and they they you know they win three out of five or they take points in four out of five or whatever, then we'll look back and say, oh, the rest came at exactly the right time. So it's almost hindsight is 2020 at this point. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point. And I think something I pointed out to on It's All Your Fault on, on Tuesday was it kind of has to work with Jordan Gross. Mark Borowiecki is still not ready to come back and you you have no one to call up. You, I mean, you have Roland McCone, I think, and Kevin Gravel, but they're, they're journeyman defensemen. If they were going to be NHL players by now, they would have stuck somewhere on a team. You don't have you don't have the horses to call up like normally it's like, OK, well, there's a Roman Yossi or a Ryan Suter. That's you know a highly touted prospect. You can call up. Maybe he's not ready, but give the kid a couple games, see what he can do. Yeah, yeah. Alex Carey, Dante Fabro fall in that same category a couple of years ago. 
they don't have that. I mean, Mark Del Gaizo is probably their best defensive prospect, and Spencer Stastny is probably right behind him. They're both in Milwaukee, but they're nowhere near ready. They need at least two more years of playing in the in the AHL before I think they would be ready to to play regular NHL minutes. So it's just you, you have no one else to call up aside from going out and making like a, a trade for a depth defenseman somewhere, which I don't foresee that happening. Like it's Jordan Gross or Bust right now for them. Yeah, and it also uh, and somebody asked us this on Twitter about trading for Brock Besser in Vancouver and. I also think the injury for the short term eliminates any conversation about moving any, oh, of, your, sure. any of your defensemen. There's no question about that. And the Fabro conversation, it feels like it's getting harder and harder to have. Or, or maybe it's easier. I don't know. Like He is adding value to his resume as he is playing one of his best yeah. seasons. He's, he's outplaying Alex Carrier this year by far. I know. I know. Not something I would have thought. But it means either he becomes more you know, valuable to the team, but also more valuable on the trade market. So I, I I think we're a ways away from talking about any kinds of trades like that. I've always interesting to revisit this at the trade deadline. Say McDonough comes back, the team stabilizes their defenseman. Jordan gross, maybe proves that he could be a third pairing defenseman in in a reduced limit or in a reduced role. Maybe you get to the trade deadline. If Brock Besser is still available and you can somehow make the money work by then Fabro, his trade value might be enough to be able to pull that off without having to include any other draft picks and or prospects. Yeah. I mean, frankly, I've always really liked Brock Besser as a player. I have not studied him closely enough the last couple of years because Vancouver has been largely terrible. But as a prospect, I loved him when he came up and broke into the league. I loved him. His size and speed and physicality and goal scoring seems like it would all fit in. He's like a young, it feels like a younger, bigger version of Nito Niederreiter to some degree. And I think that that would play well. I don't know what kind of cost, you know, are you trying to sign him long term? Maybe not. How much does it cost to acquire him? Is it yeah. Tolvanen and Fabro? I I'm not ready to go down those those roads just yet. But I mean, look, if you're if you're looking at this, and I saw someone that writes for one of the local fan blogs around here is like, oh, Bess is going to cost you know two starters and two high draft picks. He's he's a 45 to 50 point player. He's not going to cost that much. I think the Fabro Tolvanen package is kind of close. I would probably say it would take another lower level prospect and or a mid round pick, like a fifth round pick to make that work. But if you're the Preds, you have to find a way to make the money work because he's making six and a half million. Now his salary is going to jump up to 7 million next year. He's not going to cost a lot in terms of trade compensation, if you will. Like I think a package of Fabro and Tolvin and, and maybe I, a lower draft pick would do it. But if, if, if it costs you more than Fabro and Tolvin and I'm not, ta- I'm not taking the phone call. Yeah. I mean, I, I know sir, I, he's, He's, he's 25. He's young enough. He could still be a pretty good, solid top nine contributor. I mean, he scored 29 goals once. He, he's, I think he's had 20 or more goals in four of the last five years. So he does add the depth scoring that this team needs. But also, like, I feel like a, fans have a tendency to, to overvalue younger players that are perennial 20 goal scorers. Like, I don't think anyone's selling the farm to go get Craig Smith when he was in his prime. That's essentially what Brock Besser is right now. He, he is, um, he would be the fourth highest paid forward on the team. Yeah, right? and there, there's no way if, so, if you're if you're out there and you're bitching about paying Forsberg eight and a half million a year and and yeah, 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 yeah. Johansson yeah, and yeah. Duchesne making eight million, what, how mad are you going to be? You're paying Brock Besser six and a half million a year. Uh, real quickly to where you don't want to be hit with a puck. Um, before we get into that, and then again, I want to have a more thoughtful conversation around what Amy Adams Strunk, the Titans owner, did by firing their general manager John Robinson in the middle of a very successful run of football. And how that compares and the trade of AJ Brown and how that compares to the Predators, David Poyle, the ownership team. I want to have a more thoughtful conversation about that coming up. But um, real quickly, uh, in, of course, 48 saves against the Islanders was outstanding. And if you track the numbers right now, UC Saros is on pace for 60 starts out of 82 games and 22 for Lakenin. And I think 
not only is that down from last year, I think you could actually go even further. I, I would be okay with Saros at like 55 or 57 or 58 starts. That's what and I've been saying for like the last month. He's good enough to, to, to allow you to give Saros more rest and more breaks and, and just physically and mentally give him a break to, to recharge because he has been good enough to, to be used more often. And you don't want UC Saros with 67 starts this year. You just don't. And I think where the Predators were at last year, David Riddick was so bad. And I know there was one person on Twitter that was out there defending him. But David Riddick was so bad last year that it got to the point where he didn't play unless it was a back-to-back and Saros just couldn't do it. Like Saros started a couple back-to-backs, like both games of back-to-backs last year, which is almost unprecedented. Now you're at a point where you're not just looking at starting Kevin Lankin in, in, in the against the worst team of, of the of the back to back you're playing. Like you can go out and you can play him against the really good teams, you know, some of the, the division leaders, and he can hold his own. I mean, I, I ran these stats off when it's all your fault on Tuesday. I want to run through them again because it's just this puts into context just how impressive Lankin has been this year. So out of goalies that have played in seven or more started seven or more games this year, he's allowed the fewest goals against. He's third in save percentage above expected and third in goals saved above expected per 60. He's fourth in save percentage on unblocked high danger shots against. He's fifth in goals against average. He's seventh in goals saved above expected. And he has the highest save percentage on unblocked shot attempts. And that's not just like an average stat. His his save percentage on unblocked shot attempts is 965. <laughs> just mic drop he's, right there for Kevin Lankin. He's been very he's been very good. Like I mean, if if that if to, to that one person who was arguing that David Riddick was somehow valuable to this team, like I get because it because of the points percentage that they got I, they in the wanna, games that he they, started or whatever. Okay, but they also came, they came storming. Point, no, they came storming back one time against Florida. Like you know what I mean. To like, that point, though, David Riddick, I think, got somewhere around four or a little over four goals of run support in his starts, where Asaris was getting like three barely. So run support, huh? Goal support, whatever. Yeah, I like that. No, I like it. Uh, the, the, the Preds score a lot of touchdowns when, they do. when David Riddick was in the lineup. Yes. Um, they gave up a lot of touchdowns when David Riddick was in the lineup. Point is, is you're already not only is he not only is he giving you far better goaltending play just by watching him play. You don't need any metrics to see how much better he was than David Riddick last year. What it is allowing you to do more importantly is to give UC Saros fewer starts, which on the surface, I, I realize when you say that out loud, you're like, no, I want him to play 82 games. Well, wait, you have to use your you have to be rational here. You want him to play every game in the playoffs. And so you need yeah. you need to build up to that. And 58 to 60 starts sounds OK to me. He's on pace for 60, which would be a step back from last year, which is all gravy. OK, I think this is shaking out to be kind of what it was in the early 2010s, like around 2012, when you had Pecorina, who was the horse and you had Anders Lindbach, who was a really good backup. And some people questioned whether he could be a starter on another team, which they ended up, I think, trading him. I think it was to the Lightning for two second-round picks. Um, but that, that's what you want. You want a starting goalie that can be the horse and carry the load. And if you get to the playoffs and he goes out, I th- I like this team. I think if they would have had this version of Kevin Lincoln in playing last in, in the playoffs against Colorado, they would have stole a game or two. I, I think stealing a game is was to- is totally worth, worth expecting there. Uh, by the way, the stars being stars, Matt Duchesne. Uh, six points in three games, one goal, five assists. Roman Yossi, of course, uh, has 13 points, I believe, four goals, nine assists uh, over the last, uh, I think, 10 games or so. So Yossi has is, is come to life as expected. We, we, you know, we, we pointed out the struggles only to say that it's probably going to end soon. And sure enough, here he is scoring. 
and you know Forsberg's almost to a point per game. And look at look at look at look what's happening. They're they've won. You know they're nine three and one in their last thirteen. They are still. We're not going to talk about how how much this team still struggles to score goals and the power play. We've we've beaten those horses to death. But I thought I thought a far more important conversation. All brought to you by Jaspers, of course. Um, we are going to remove the crotch from this conversation. I'm going to remove that. Is that okay, Jaspers? Jaspers, is Jaspers okay with this? I, I figured this is Jaspers is removing the crotch since 2022. Jaspers, <laughs> Jaspers avoiding the groin <laughs> since 2020. Uh, I'm going to take the groin out of this because I think it's fairly protected, right? You got the girdle on. You got the like. You you wear a lot of gear to protect the, the groin. Although getting hit with a puck, especially on a slap shot. I know this wasn't a slap shot. It was a wrist shot, but it was from very close. Hits Ryan McDonough right in the face, clearly in lots of pain, now out for a couple of weeks. So I was thinking, where's the worst possible place to get hit with the puck? And I'm going to remove the crotchal region from this conversation because I feel like that's just unfair. It's just automatically the one seed, the place you'd rather avoid getting hit with the puck. So now that you've had time to think about it, Michael Gallagher, the important questions brought to you by Jaspers over on West End, free parking, avoiding the growing since 2020. Great Pred specials, by the way. Go get you a burger and some beers, especially if you get hit in the groin. But where do you? Where's the last place? I've got a. I've got an off the board one that I think could win this discussion, but I'm not sure. I want to know. I want to know where you're going first. There's so many options. <laughs> I I think honestly, I think I would have to go with getting hit directly in the neck because. So I, I box a lot and I've gotten punched in the neck and I've had the wind knocked out of me. I've, I've been like, I have to like catch my breath. If that happens, excuse me. And I can only imagine what it's like taking a puck 90 plus miles an hour, like straight to the throat. So I, I probably would have to go there. I can't believe you, dude. I can't believe you. Did I steal yours? So I was thinking about, yes, you stole it because it's the trachea, the windpipe. If you got hit with a slap shot right there, it could kill you. It yeah. could, you could die. If it, if it collapses your windpipe and, and, it, and it hits you right there in the neck, like because, again, there's no protection there for, for hockey players. That's one of the few areas where you're not protected. Do you, have you ever seen those old go, – go look at some old YouTube videos of where, like, a goaltender's skate flies up in the air and, like, hits a guy in the neck. Oh, and I like, saw that. Like, it, slit it, his throat, blood it everywhere. Blood everywhere. Like, if you took a Amazingly, slap shot, that, that goalie lived. I can't believe that nonsense. Yeah. If you get hit in the neck with a puck, you could die. Like, that... I, I, I thought, you know what? The wrist bone right there, you know, on the side of the wrist where it's real sensitive and there's not a lot of skin or padding, like, that could be real painful. Shatter a wrist and you can't write or eat or drive a car or whatever for, you know, personal stuff for a long period of time. You get hit on the shin, that would be absolutely miserable, but you have huge shin guards, so that's that's largely protected. Yeah. I, I mean, you the face is obviously top of the list for this as well, but I was like, oh, I'm going to say the neck, and he's never going to get it. I can't <laughs> believe you took the neck. Sorry. I'm sorry I stole your thunder. If you want, I'll give you credit Damn. for that one. I, I say no, a, close, a close second for me would probably be like to the eye socket. Yeah, so I wear glasses, so I'm already visually challenged. So if I <laughs> if I was wearing contacts and I took a puck to the eyeball, that would probably be a little bit of a pain oh, in the ass because brutal. it affects driving, it affects seeing. Like, I don't know how many times I've I've had like a hair or something in my eye, and I just like reach up and rub my eye and scratch it, and then all of a sudden it feels like it's like swollen shut because I rubbed it the wrong way. Like, I can only imagine like taking a puck to the eyeball. So I yeah, I'll give you is... credit. I'll give you credit for the for the windpipe, and I'll I'll go eyeball. <laughs> 
No, you get you said neck and neck. I agree. We agree. We have consensus. Go to Jasper's. I, I think um, neck consensus number like a crotchal region one, neck number two, face number three. I think that's the top. That's the top three. Um, yeah. How about like you always see guys like kind of duck down and spin right when they're in the way of a slap shot. They kind of like duck down and spin. If you ever got one like between your shoulder pads and your girdle on your back on your spinal cord. How about that? Like right yeah, between, you know that's... what I'm saying? Like right between where there's no padding and you got one right on the, I bet you that would hurt like hell. Let's just, let's time. put a caveat to this. There's no good place to get hit with a puck. <laughs> right in the butt cheek. But I was, I was thinking, cause like I said, I, I box a lot and I was equating getting hit with a puck to getting hit, you know, when you're sparring with someone. And I, I think, I think another one that a lot of people don't think about is right behind the ear. Because oh, I've been God. hit with like a punch right behind the ear, and it oh. takes away your equilibrium, and sometimes you just like collapse, and you don't even know what's going on. So, I'm assuming if you take a puck right behind the ear, it could be lights out for a little bit. Now, again, there's at least there's a little hel- there's helmet back there, so that's that's good. If you took a puck to the ear, you that uh, you could just an ear could be cut off. I feel like by a puck if it was if it yeah. hit it at the right angle. Um, by the way, did you know that I'm an undefeated world champion in the boxing? In, 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 in boxing. boxing, yes. I don't know one, if this is serious or not. No, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I'm one and oh. They do the rumble on the road down at the factory in Franklin. It's for, all for charity. I was gonna say, is this like a video game or is no, this no, no, no. I trained drinking buddies. So do you know who? Do you know who Caleb Plant is? The 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 boxer. Do I know from, who Caleb Plant? Okay, is. good. Okay, good. I just I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. Uh, Ashland City's finest, one of the best athletes, maybe the best boxer to ever come out of Middle Tennessee. His trainer trained me. And I went, I went down there and this mixed martial artist guy that like worked for some fancy music row label was talking all kinds of junk for like weeks building up to this fight. I went down there. I just worked the jab. I worked the jab. I had the length on him. Uh, I won all three rounds, all three judges, unanimous decision, nine and oh, world champion. And then I quit and retired. I did not know that. Yeah. I think we should coax you out of retirement and we should get a Nashville media boxing tournament going on because there's there's a few other Nashville media people I would like to get in a boxing ring. <laughs> Stop it. We we know who you've they already, are. You've already taken enough veiled shots on the pod today. Let's not do that anymore. <laughs> uh let's stay classy. Let's stay classy. But no, I love I love boxing. And you're right. The 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 overhand right to the back of the head over the ear. Oh my God. You you never see it coming and you oh, don't know never. what happens until you wake up. You're like, you're what like, the hell just happened when you're looking up at the ceiling and you're like, oh, I got hit clean right behind the ear. Yes, that is exactly how it feels to everyone listening. He's exactly right. Uh, I got hit by a few of those uh, during my training match. Um, all right. Somebody who's waking up uh, seeing stars right now. John Robinson for the Tennessee Titans. Go to go to Jasper's. <laughs> <What a> transition. <laughs> go to Jasper's, by the way. Uh, free parking, $10 specials. Uh, you got beer. You got burgers. You got all kinds of great stuff for the Nashville Predators. Uh, so make sure you go check that out. So I, I, I saw this news, and after the initial shock wore off, for those that, for you Predators fans who don't follow the Titans or care about the Titans, Amy Adams Strunk is a singular owner who has largely made nothing but extraordinarily good decisions to rebuild the Tennessee Titans franchise and relationship with the city of Nashville. And she's done this over the period of five or six years when she really wasn't even wanted by the rest of the other owners in the NFL. John Robinson has been on the job for seven seasons, all seven of which have been winning seasons. He has been largely responsible for taking a completely irrelevant franchise and turning them into one of the best franchises in the AFC. I think that covers, I think that covers the cliff notes version of what you need to know about this. The roster maybe has not been as improved as they would like over the last couple of years. They're still in first place in their division. And this never happens. General managers do not get fired in almost any sport in the middle of the season, NHL or NFL. 
And two thirds of the way through the season, in the middle of a week, Amy Adams Strunk decides unilaterally, apparently, to fire John Robinson as general manager. And the first one of the first things that I thought of, Michael, after I kind of the initial shock wore off was what a stark difference between the Nashville Predators ownership group, lack of singular voice and any sort of like communication to the to the fan base and Amy Adams Strunk, who just decided that John Robinson, the GM, wasn't good enough anymore. Greatness is all I'm going to settle for. And if she, I just can't help but think if she would have been in charge of the Predators, David Boyle would have been fired like a like three years ago. And I'm not saying that like because I gr- agree <laughs> with it or not. I don't even know if I agree with John Robinson getting fired. But it just it it just it puts into stark contrast the two franchises and their ownership situations. Yeah, I mean, you got a very valid point, and I, I I have a little bit of an issue with comparing the Titans and the Predators ownership groups and stuff like this. Like when the news broke, the two initial reactions I saw on social media were I'm I'm shocked that this that John Robinson was fired, and the second one was why aren't the Predators doing this with David Poyle? Like I'm just convinced Nashville fans like. They like Nashville sports fans like to be martyrs. They like to just complain. They they have this bloodthirst for people losing their jobs. And I get it. David Poe's brought a lot of the hatred on himself. But I just I feel like it's comparing apples and oranges. And and you look at the Titans. I mean, Amy Adams Strunk, her father was Bud Adams. Like football ran in their family. It's you could argue it's in her blood, whatever. Like it's a little bit different with her owning this team because it it was it was kept in her family. She grew up around the sport. Like she's not just some woman who happened to luck into owning a team. Like she knows quite a bit about football. Like most of the decisions she made, you could argue, you know, firing your GM and not answering questions was was one that shouldn't have been shouldn't have happened. But yeah, other than yeah, that, yeah, 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 every other decision she's made has has been relatively a smart decision. The Predators ownership group doesn't know, know anything. Many, doesn't know anything about hockey. You're saying? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how many people are in the group. It's this random hodgepodge of like Fortune 500 CEOs that just happen to have a lot of money that bought the team to keep it here. And and I mean, Herb Fritch even said it himself when they announced that that Bill Haslam was transitioning into being the majority owner. He was basically saying like, if he got asked some questions about stuff, I think Adam might have asked him a couple questions, and uh, or maybe it was Paul. I don't know. One one of the guys asked him some questions. And he basically said, oh, I don't know. We have advisors that handle that stuff. That was him basically admitting, I don't know what's going on with the day-to-day stuff. Like, I have people that report back to me and tell me this. Like, he's very hands-off. The Predators ownership group is like I don't, 15 to 20 people, I think. Yeah. No one is really solely responsible for anything. And I think we'll see that change once Bill Haslam does become the majority owner. But there's there's no accountability there. The fans are holding Amy Adams Strunk account accountable. The Preds fans try to do that with Preds ownership, but it's like no one really knows like who to voice their complaints to. So it's it's two completely different scenarios. Well, and that's that is the thing that I am alluding to here is that it's not that I think David Poyle should or should not have been fired, or that a singular owner would or would not have done that. What it what it what what I what was crystallized for me as if I already didn't know this, but just how like exactly what you have just laid out like is it hurting the nashville predators and i don't know if we have the answer to this is it hurting the nashville predators organization to not have a singular decision making you know they don't have to be an expert in hockey but a singular decision maker who has complete authority to make the decisions as an owner which is going to be bill haslam in the future the way amy like 
like the reaction to Amy Adams drunk, I think is largely appropriate. Like this is a hugely risky move. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't, but it's on you now, Amy, because you're demanding excellence. And now you've made this decision. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I see why you're doing it. You better make the right move now and you better win games now because otherwise now it's on you. And I also think that does not exist for the national predators. That does not exist. Yeah. And I also think something to keep in mind too, the Titans fire John Robinson. You have a very competent, you could argue one of top two or three head coaches in the league right now. And Mike Vrabel, John Hines, very nice guy, solid coach. I, John Hines is nowhere near being considered in the top two or three of of head coaches in the, in the NHL. If you're going to fire the general manager, you at least have a competent head coach in place. And and from every, all the reports that are coming out, Vrabel is going to have a lot of say in who the next general manager is. If David Poyle were to be fired, I don't think anyone's running to John Hines being like, hey, who do you want to be your boss now? Like that's that's not going to happen. So there's it's interesting to think about. I do agree if they had one singular owner, David Poyle probably would have been out on his ass three or four years ago. But the Preds don't know any better. They don't have people in charge that really know what they're doing. I, I say that from an ownership standpoint. They don't have people in charge that really know what they're doing. They don't really know better. Like they're not going to go out and fire David Poyle because they're sitting at they're sitting there looking at it like he brought us to a Stanley Cup final. He's got division titles. You know, he's got a conference title. Like he looks like a, su- a successful general manager on paper. And there, and another thing too, I think the Titan Amy Adams Strunk hasn't publicly said anything, but all the reports are saying this move came about because she wasn't happy with the direction the roster was going. No one's going to say that about the Predators. No one is happy about the Predators roster, but the ownership group isn't going to come out and be like, we don't like the direction the roster is going. We're going to out the guy who's building the roster. I I think those are great points. And I I may be even like, I don't want to say like softer on the Preds than you in this situation. I I just don't think we know definitively whether or not it has benefited this team or not to have David Poyle around for 3,700 years. Um (laughs) Or or not, because again, I I could argue that John Robinson has done a brilliant job over the last seven years for the Tennessee Titans and that Amy Adams Strunk acted too quickly because she is a singular owner and had aut- complete autonomy to act as, as such. Maybe they whiff on this hire, and you're right, Mike Vrabel being a, an excellent head coach versus John Hines being in sort of this we're not sure land. Again, you just it's so they are so different. The NFL does not fire coaches. It doesn't feel like the way the NHL does. Maybe the maybe the NHL fires more coaches. I have to it might be interesting to go back and like look at the numbers on that. There's always about five or six new head coaches, it feels like in the NFL and just as many in the NHL. I, I just I feel like the, the front office is turnover maybe more in the NFL, but I, I just don't know if we have the answer about whether or not this organization is better off with one voice. And again, we'll learn this in a couple of years when Bill Haslam takes over. So I guess I just wanted to compare the two so that we kind of could talk through the differences of the two situations, because like you said, it certainly it, you know, people are running to, we shouldn't be using Twitter to like program all of our content here, but people are like, Oh, David Poyle would have been fired. You know, exactly what you said. So yeah, I just, am, I just, I just, I don't know exactly what the what would have happened or could have happened or should have happened had there been a a singular owner. I do know that communicating to the public should be a lot easier. And and frankly, you you said this. Amy Adams Strunk, I think, has done a bad job of that. If you're going to fire the general manager, you need to hold the press conference and say why. Oh, one hundred percent. And then take questions. 
I don't know if anybody, if if, if David Poyle, like I guess the other angle is John Robinson's only been around for seven or eight years, whereas David Poyle's been here since the beginning of the organization. And I'm cynical. I'm all about just like, if it's not the right thing, move on. But I also understand that there's human beings involved in all of this. And, you know, he's been here since 97. And that that does actually count for something. To equate this situation to predators terms, if you will, firing John or firing John Robinson now, if you're going to equate it to the Predators, it would it would be equivalent to if David Poyle would have gotten fired after they lost the playoff series to the Winnipeg Jets in 2017, the year they won the President's Trophy. That is, I think, a similar, a comparable situation because he's wouldn't it be the, wouldn't it be the next year though? No, I feel like it would be after they got swept or after they lost that playoff series. Because so, so hear, hear that's me when out. The, that's when the downturn started to happen. That's that's when they won the President's Trophy and they were it was expected they were going to make another run at the Cup. They got embarrassed by Winnipeg. That was I think that okay, was the seven playoffs. Games. Seven games. Come that on. was the playoff series where Pecorino got pulled and he was sat. That's true. They showed that's a video true. of him. He wasn't crying, but he was he was sulking over in the hallway and stuff like that. That ended about as bad as you could be about about as bad as it could have happened. Well, let, so. let me let me draw let me draw a comparison because I like where you're going with this. Let me draw another comparison. Okay. So the Titans are the one seed in the AFC. They're the best team in the Western Con- the Western Conference. <laughs> the Titans are the, the solution. Best team Move in the, the Titans West. to the Western Conference. There you go. <laughs> the Titans were the number one seed in the AFC last year. The best team. They they lose in the second round of the playoffs. Sound familiar, Predators fans? President's <laughs> Trophy. This would be like the the next year. So it's the now we're talking the year after they win the President's Trophy. The year they go out in the first round, but firing David Poyle like right around the trade deadline that season which to be and then i guess that makes more sense because it, it is a mid-season firing yes and he, here you go here's another comparison because of the, the aj brown stuff which if again if you're not a titans fan they trade aj brown they go play aj brown this week all their offensive woes come to come to life in a perfect storm and then aj brown goes off we were trying to come up with a comp for david poyle or the predators is there an aj brown in the and david poyle's background and like there's not really because they trade Shea Weber, they get a star. They trade Seth Jones, they get a star. Like they've traded big chips away, but gotten a lot in return when they do that. Um, and again, it's probably too early to judge the AJ Brown trade. And if you fire a GM because of one football game, that's pretty stupid. But imagine losing to Colorado the very next season after the President's Trophy, after making the trade to acquire Kyle Turris, dropping Sam Girard in their laps, and having him play top blue line minutes against you in the first round of the playoffs when Colorado wins. That is something similar to what the Titans are going through. And otherwise, I don't think there is like... I mean, unless Kevin Fiala comes back and scores like a thousand goals or something, like I don't I don't know if there is a, a trade that is comparable for David Poyle right now. Yeah, I guess that's the one good thing. As much heat as David Poyle takes, is there's no glaring, no glaring, glaringly bad trade like the AJ Brown trade looks right now. I think if you're going based off of just name value, Shea Weber was probably the one trade where you trade a star. And even though PK Subban came back to the team, there were a lot of Preds fans that were upset with losing Shea Weber because he was just this beloved figure in the community, a really good player, captain of the team. But huge, huge contract like AJ Brown. Yeah, you you get PK Subban back though, and you go to the Cup. You know, a year or yeah, two later. So you you cannot you cannot argue the Shea Weber trade. Yeah, so like that it, wasn't a bad trade. I think. Argue. And again, the Kev, when the Kevin Fiala trade went down, like it initially, it was like, oh, David Poyle fleeced the Minnesota Wild. Gramlin's the by far the better player. 
Now it looks like Fiala may be the better player. He has the higher scoring upside, but that's a trade that worked really well for the Predators. Yep. I think the one that that is kind of blown up in their faces is sending Sam Girard to the Colorado Avalanche. You get Kyle Terrace back, and now you now you're on the hook for two million dollars until 2028, paying his buyout. Sam Girard hasn't quite developed into like a Kale McCarr kind of player, but he's a right. very solid second pairing defenseman. I mean, he's he's what a thirty point defenseman pretty much every year. Like he would look really good right now on the Predators blue line. The Ryan McDonough injury, you could argue if they had Sam Gerrard, they there's no need to go out and trade for Ryan McDonough. So yeah, I think I, that's I, I, probably uh, the the closest comp to the AJ Brown trade. But to David Poyle's credit, he hasn't had a trade really blow up in his face. No, I was trying to think of. I mean, the Kyle Turris trade was was and the contract was pretty stupid, but. Um, that that's the one because, but Gerard hasn't ended up as a superstar the way AJ Brown is. I think if they would have traded Philip Forsberg at the deadline for future assets, yeah, and it, let's say it was to like to a team in the Western Conference and like, like let's say Dallas or Winnipeg because they've kind of overachieved and now they're in first place in the division and we didn't expect them to be there. Like if they had traded Forsberg to Dallas at the deadline and then now this season. Every time they play Dallas, he scores a freaking hat trick and they're in first place in the division. That would sort of be comparable to what the Titans are going through. And I think a know, good comp. David Poyle's not done that. He hasn't done that. I think a good comp. It's an, David Poyle was part of this equation, but what everyone, the way everyone's acting about the A.G. Brown trade and the way it looks like it's going to play out would be comparable to when George McPhee traded Philip Forsberg to Nashville and got yeah. back Michael Latta and Martin Erat. That's the yeah. kind of trade that would come back to bite him in the ass. And David Poyle hasn't then, hasn't had those. He's been on the on the on the receiving end of a couple of those. But yeah. that's that's how bad of a trade it would be in NHL terms, considering everything that's going on with AJ Brown right now. Well, and even still, Philip Forsberg was an unproven commodity at that point. Yeah. So this would be like again trading Philip. If if George McPhee in Washington had traded Philip Forsberg after like two or three 30 goal seasons and then said, Oh, this isn't good enough. Like, again, this would have been to me, this, the only thing that could come, come close is like trading Forsberg at the deadline. Cause you don't think you can sign him, which is the, 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 the heart, the heart of the AJ Brown trade is that they didn't think they could sign him for the right amount of money and fit him on the cap. You can't re-sign Philip Forsberg. So we've got to trade him. The only people they're going to take him is this X, Y, or Z team. And Oh, by the way, we're going to play them a bunch next year. And he's going to score a bunch of goals against us. And, and the we're thing gonna, with and, and we're going to struggle on offense because we don't have that weapon anymore. Like that, that's the only comparable thing I can think of. And the thing with AJ Brown is there were reports that he was wanting like a twenty-five to thirty million dollar a year contract. He ends up signing a four-year extension for twenty million dollars a year. You're telling me that the Titans somehow, some way, could not find twenty million dollars a year in their now salary cap? Now you're him. talking. Now you're talking football. <laughs> no, I, I think it's well. We saw it with the Predators, like. Everyone was saying you can't pay Philip Forsberg more than Roman Yossi, which is around that nine million dollars a year, and everyone thought he was going to cost more. Then they were saying, "Well, you can't you can't have three eight million dollar plus year forwards." They, they David Poyle did not want to pay Philip Forsberg eight and a half million dollars a year, but he found the salary cap to make it work. Yeah, and and where would this team be right now? Scoring goals without Philip Forsberg? Oh, that's right, in the exact same spot. <laughs> What's funny is they have Philip Forsberg and they're still the worst goal scoring team in the NHL. I know. I know, man. It's just what a wild week, man, in sport. You got a water main breaking. You got uh, the two different long stretches of time off. You got the Titans firing their general manager. And, and all I want to know is how is David Poyle being evaluated by the ownership group? Can somebody tell me? Just somebody tell me, like, by what criteria is he being he's, I judged? think the answer is he's not. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right. Um, I, th I know, I know how the fans view it, which is if you don't win a playoff series, you're done. 
I, I think that's how I view it. Like for I, w- I will say, I think I think ownership responded about the clock that David Poyle's on because we were told that over the next three years, within three years, Bill Haslam will be the majority owner of the team. I think David Poyle has that those three years to turn this team into not just a playoff team, turn this team into a legitimate Stanley Cup team. By that, I mean you're playing in the conference final on a yearly basis. I think he has three years left to turn this team into that or Bill Haslam is going to come in and put his fingerprints all over the whole thing. And he's going to, we could be looking at new coach, new GM, maybe some new players. I mean, who knows? Oh, I think if David Poyle goes in whatever way, shape or form, if it's a firing or a retirement or sliding over to a different role, which is what I think is the best thing to do. I don't think John Hines survives that transaction. Um, And I, and I agree with you counting this season as one of those years, no more than three, there's no more than three because he's already gotten kind of two extra ones already on top of it because it's you know like because they've had the magical turnaround when the herd line came together and and all this other stuff so uh, i just I wanted, to, david I wanted is, to bring up the comparison i think david poyle is too respected to be you know outright fired i think it'll come as a form of he's retiring he's turning yeah. his resignation stuff like that i don't think we're going to see him outright fired like john, john robinson just was he will be quote unquote put out to pasture peacefully and, um, and honestly i think if david poyle leaves Brian Poyle is going to is not he may not go with him because if David Poyle retires, Brian Poyle is not going to retire. But I just I don't think Brian. A lot of people think Brian Poyle is kind of the heir apparent, like the successor to David Poyle. I I think the way things have gone, I don't think that's the case. I think if David Poyle is if David Poyle retires, Brian Poyle will go into the front office of another team. No, there it's not to suggest that he's not qualified. But there is. Yeah, that's the thing that sucks is he he's more than qualified. Like he's been doing this for years. Yes, but because is. of because his last name is Poyle. Yep. That that kind of cements his future with his franchise. Unless it's, David Poyle wins the cup in the next two years, then then maybe everyone will be on board with that. But I just don't see that job. happening. <laughs> and he gets yeah. the job. <laughs> I just don't see that happening though. We're a value that what don't judge me by the sins of the father or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so you win a cup, you get the job. You don't win a cup, nah, you gotta go somewhere else. That would be a very predators thing to happen is David Poyle retires, Brian Poyle goes becomes a GM of another team and takes them to a Stanley cup. cup. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Dave, I'm sure that'd be a lovely Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> hey dad what do you think about this ring <laughs> I got my finger um all right that just about does it for us uh, of course a couple of games in the eastern conference and then a ton of western conference action make sure you're listening to it's all your fault go to jaspers everybody all right just go swing by jaspers smash burger ten dollars during preds games home and road three dollar beers great specials free parking you got a great game room you got the air hockey table the papa shot the ski ball darts shuffleboard great drinks great food great atmosphere great parking and you get to watch the games, and it's way, way cheaper than going to the games. Um, it just It's just a great place to go, man. Go hang out. Go check out Jaspers. Make sure you're reading the post and the scene. I know if you actually do care about all this Titan stuff, Michael, you've got a lot of stuff up there for people to read. you got new I general do. manager candidates. you got what, what was going down with John Robinson. you got all kinds of stuff up there on the post and the scene, so check that out. Michael, where can people follow you? Follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. There you have it. You can get to me at Braden Gall at 440 Sports as well. Thank you all for listening. And if you like the show, please just tell one person about it. Uh, Just share it. Just share the product. Write a review. All that good stuff. Go to Jaspers. We we thank you guys for supporting us and for listening. For Michael and Braden, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you guys again next week. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.